Who doesn't want to be happy? When you ask anyone what they want in life, the most common answer is to be happy. Often, the idea of happiness is considered one of chance or luck or the blessed. But the truth is that your happiness depends only upon the story you create in your own mind about your life. Today's guest is a certified positive psychology practitioner who has been teaching the science of human flourishing to mass media audience for for the past five years. He's the host of the More Happy Life podcast and has been featured on the New York Times, ABC News, Fox Business, and many other national publications. He is currently on the board of TEDxBYU and is the director of the 1,000-word speaker series at NewSkin. Stay tuned for my discussion with him and for the five tools for creating your own happiness. And, of course, his story, Andy Proctor's story of how he found his way to the happiness path. Stories are our lives in language. Welcome to the Love Your Story podcast. I'm Lori Lee, and I'm excited for our future together of telling stories, evaluating our own stories, and lifting ourselves and others to greater places because of our control over our stories. This podcast is about empowerment and giving you, the listener, ideas to work with in making your stories work for you. Story power serves you best when you know how to use it. We are here to thrive, not just to endure. It's true that difficult things will happen in each of our lives. We'll have those dragons to fight, the dark swamps to cross. It's how we earn the magic elixir of learning and strength and character building. But our ability to bounce back from the battles is, in the words of Andy Proctor, quote, one of the most important life skills we can develop, unquote. Andy, so excited to have you on the podcast. Welcome to Love Your Story. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on, Lori. This is amazing. That's going to be a great conversation. And what I want to start out with is, if this is one of the most important life skills, this ability to bounce back from the battles, how do we develop that? That's such a good question. I really do agree that, you know, our capacity to bounce back well is one of the most important life skills we can develop. I used to actually teach people how to ski. And one of the first things that I would teach people once they got their boots on and their skis were attached to their boots was how do you fall well? Mm. And I think that is something that we don't necessarily learn in school is, you know, (laughs) what happens when your business fails or your marriage fails or all of a sudden something traumatic happens to you. And I think one of these things that we can develop is this skill to bounce back. And I I believe that happiness really is a skill set. It's a skill set. I mean, a lot of people say choose happiness, but then what do you, how do you do that? You know, it's like, well, you kind of, some people are almost left feeling powerless when they hear that. But if you look at it from the standpoint of it's a skill set that can be learned and we can get better at after practicing it, then I think that's something that can really help us to bounce back better. And so I love yeah. where you're going with this. I totally agree with you, but also this idea of learning how to fall well 
that has yeah. not been brought up once in the 140 plus episodes on this <laughs> podcast. That's never come up. Or maybe it has, and you know, just through somebody's comments or explanation, but not the topic itself. And I really, really like that because we're all going to fall. You know, we just are. That's the process of learning is that you hit the wrong notes when you're playing the piano and you fall when you're learning to ski. That's how you get good at anything is that falling. And if you can learn to do it well and learn how to stand back up, then you keep on down the road. If you don't, then you quit. So that's huge. It is huge. It's so big. And when we fall, it's such a great opportunity. I like to think of, of our falling or our failing as opportunities. And, you know, there's this interesting book that I read called The Happiness of Pursuit. And they talked about this man who actually tried. He, one of his goals was to get rejected. It was to get rejected a hundred times just to see how it felt. <laughs> I <laughs> heard about that. And I actually thought it was brilliant. I thought, right? especially if you're afraid of the fear, if you have the fear of failure, I thought it'd be a great podcast episode to go and ask people like for things that you thought they would turn you down on. And I know they would say enough. no. <laughs> Let's do it. Yeah, we should try it. We should definitely, that would be a really interesting episode. Yeah. And, you know, I think we, a lot of times, instead of looking at failure and saying, wow, what a great opportunity, we look at failure and we say, I, we start telling a story of, I am a failure. Instead of saying, this was a failure, this mm-hmm. was a great way of learning, this is something that I can learn from. And even saying to ourselves, statistics show that, you know, people who have gone through this kind of thing about, you know, 20 times are more likely to succeed than those who never fail, who never try and never fail, right? Growth mindset shows that the research from Carol Dweck in growth mindset shows that people who fail and get back up more often are those who are more likely to succeed than those who don't fail ever who don't ever try because they're afraid to fail. Mm. So if we look at failure as a great opportunity, you know, for example, let's I'm just throwing this number out there, but if you were to know that on the 7th try, like after the 6th time of failing, on the 7th you would totally get it, you'd be a millionaire and you'd make it, you know, big in whatever you're trying to do or whatever it is that your dream is, if you knew that after 6 times of failing, that your seventh was going to be golden, then wouldn't you just, wouldn't you actually look for opportunities to fail? <laughs> You'd be like, okay, I got to just check these off, right? I got to failure number one, failure number five, right? And then right. failure number six would almost be exciting because you're like, this is the sixth one. I know it's going to, you know, the seventh is going <laughs> to happen. So I, I think looking at failure and looking at falling, right, in life as, you know, what if this was just number five and number seven is actually going to be this amazing success. So you're saying then that the way we develop this skill is to look at it as an opportunity and not be afraid. Absolutely. Yeah. We look at it as an opportunity. It's what the research calls growth mindset. Okay. So I didn't mean to interrupt you when you were talking about the guy who was doing the the hundred rejection or failure notes or whatever it was. Tell us what that looked like. Well, so that's just it, is that he went out and he was just trying to get rejected. He was trying to, you know, basically he was counting that as well, just like we, you know, made up that imaginary number of seven, you know, his was 100. And so he learned from this 
how much our emotions are just so fleeting, right? And those rejections were really, you know, once you get rejected a couple of times, it's like, oh, and especially if you're telling the story of this is my goal, my goal is to get rejected, then it totally changes it, right? It completely changes it into a quest. If I remember correctly, which maybe this was a a different guy, I don't know, but it seemed like there were a lot of things he thought that he would get rejected on that when he actually pushed down that fear of rejection and asked for it or tried for it, that a lot of times people actually said yes. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Right? Like, I think that's the fascinating part of it is is so often the fear of failure or the fear of rejection stops us from doing anything. What if we just did it just to see like what people would say yes to? I I bet it would be far more often than we think. It really, it probably would. I think we tell ourselves a story in our heads that everybody's, you know, out to get us or, you know, that we were, we're going to fail. And so we become afraid of that. We become afraid of rejection. We become afraid of what if it doesn't work out? Oh, yeah. And that's universal. I think that's just the human space that that negative bias in our mind is there to keep us afraid and small. And don't try that. You're going to look stupid. Don't try that. You're going to feel stupid. And if we choose to not push past that, then we stay in small places. 100%. Okay, so you are the happiness guy and everybody gets to where they are, to their platform, to the thing they believe in, to their purpose in life. There's always a story behind it. So will you take us to the story of how this idea of creating your own happiness and being in control over it was something that came to be important to you? This is an interesting story. I was actually, my wife and I were selling supplements online. We're kind of internet marketer people. And the supplement we were selling was actually something that I believe actually really does work really well. But the slogan was the science of happiness. And it was a brain supplement. It was saying, hey, this uh, you know supplement can help you to be happier if you take it. And so I started looking into it and saying like, is this really just a pill, right? You know, is happiness just take a pill and you'll be happier? And so I started researching what really is the science of happiness. And I started looking into, and I studied psychology in my undergrad. And I studied a little bit about positive psychology, but I really didn't get into the the depths of it. And so I started really digging and I started watching TED Talks and all these different, you know, YouTube videos and reading so many books and going to events and things. And I just fell in love with positive psychology. And it was interesting because at this same time that I was falling in love with positive psychology, when I was really just trying to verify it for this supplement that I was selling, (laughs) we were starting to go through something that was really difficult, which was my wife started to experience really intense depression. And we started trying to figure out, you know, how do we, what do we do? And we, neither of us had really had an experience with mental illness before and specifically not with depression to the point of, you know, suicidal thoughts, which was so difficult to figure out. And so she ended up to the point where she actually had an episode of psychosis, which was afterwards she was diagnosed with what's called bipolar disorder, which is kind of a depression and then mania kind of back and forth. And when the mania gets too intense, I guess it can lead to what's called psychosis, which is kind of where you break from a bit from reality and you're still able to see and look at things and 
uh, you know, kind of be in your world, but a lot of times the meaning of everything changes and becomes really intense. And so that's what happened to Stacy to the point where she was hospitalized. And this was really traumatic for both of us because we didn't really see it coming. <laughs> we, we didn't uh, prepare for that, which, you know, a lot, most of the time, when you experience a traumatic event, you don't prepare for it, you know? And so we had that experience and luckily, I'm saying this sarcastically, we were not insured. We, we, and hospitalization kind of rocks your finances if you don't have insurance. Um, Yeah, that's scary all by itself. So, right. (laughs) So that kind of cracked a hole in our, in our foundation and was really difficult for both of us to kind of make sense of. And by the time Stacy was able to kind of come back to reality, you know, we were both kind of in this really vulnerable place financially, emotionally, socially, because it kind of all the, the delusions that were a part of psychosis were kind of spiritual in nature. And so that was a huge part of our identity as a couple and as individuals. And so we kind of were starting to have to put our whole life back together, you know, from scratch. That was really hard. It's taken us a long time. And this happened almost five years ago. But it was so interesting that positive psychology was was kind of introduced into our lives right before this all happened. Right. Were you able to take the things you had been learning and studying about and yeah. did they work with her? Absolutely. I mean, obviously to be able to come out of those kinds of, you know, that like a psychotic episode, you've got to take certain medications. And that was really helpful in, you know, short term to really kind of bring her out of it. But then afterwards, psychiatrists will admit and anybody in psychopharmacology will admit that no medication is necessarily there to help cure any of the mental illnesses. Um, They're all palliative. And so they really helped kind of come out of it. It was these behaviors Mm. and they learned, you know, habits of happiness, skills of happiness and resilience that were what helped both of us to really actually build a life, you know? You know, um, I have a friend who deals with that same thing, the the manic depressive, the bipolar, yeah. and it gets really severe sometimes and she's just in and out and all over the place. But I do notice that she has very specific things that she knows she needs to do. She has to not has she chooses to, but because she has to, because she knows that this works yeah. for her to walk like in the morning and yeah, listen to inspirational right. things. And then she knows that she needs to, she just has certain things that she needs to do to keep her mind and her energy and the things that she needs aligned in the best possible way. And that's definitely about habits and choices. It is it's so important. And I think I've mentioned this to the, to some people that I, you know, a lot of times people say, hey, you study happiness, you're this happiness activist, you know, you're a certified happiness guy, you know, and so does that mean you're always happy all the time? And and the truth is, is that because of all this happening to me and my wife, I actually developed anxiety to the point of a panic disorder. And so, yes, I study happiness, but, you know, I go through really difficult times. I've had super severe panic attacks. One time I was singing in a choir 
I was like literally right in the middle of the choir and I had this massive panic attack and I let her, I just had to, I had to just like squeeze out of the choir really awkwardly. I've had health issues. I've, I get sick sometimes, you know, I get stressed out about family issues. I worry about my wife still, you know, even though she's doing really, really well, but I also prioritize activities that are proven to boost well-being and life satisfaction and prioritizing these things is I think the skill that we can develop. I really like where this is going because it puts the control in each of our hands, right? Like Absolutely. each person has the control to choose happy. And yeah. by taking a moment to figure out what are the tools around the skills around creating happy and creating yep. the greatest chances for success and creating the most positive life stories, there are tools yeah. to do that. So, share with me, let's say your top five tools that okay. have, have had the biggest impact on you, but that you've also seen with people that you've worked with. Okay. So, there's so many tools that I love. Yeah. I'll try to pick from the top five. So, something specifically things that I've been doing lately that have really impacted me. So one is, so I have this little trampoline in my office. Okay. <laughs> and so I put headphones in an effort to kind of develop my strength of zest. I, you know, I put these headphones in and I put on some music that makes me want to dance. And then I imagine that I'm kind of the life of the party, you know, that I'm on a <laughs> stage dancing in front of a stadium of cheering fans. This is, you know, you can maybe say this. I totally love movie. this. I like that idea <laughs> of the strength. I'm developing my strength of zest. I yes. like that. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. And it helps me. It really boosts me from the scientific side too. It generates dopamine and serotonin in my brain, as well as helping me to boost what's called brain-derived neurotropic factors, BDNF, that is this kind of neurotransmitter that's almost, they've called it like miracle grow for the brain almost. And a lot of my ideas for my day come while I'm dancing. Um, not always, but a lot of times. And so I do my little morning dance party on my trampoline for at least three songs. That's my goal every day. Okay. Number um, one, I wish that I could watch that. And <laughs> <laughs> number two, um, I totally dig the idea of dancing being miracle grow for the brain because I, I can get on board with that. Mm -hmm. That sounds and, you know, fun. <laughs> it is. So, well, that's the thing. It's like, if it's not fun, it won't get done. And like, you know, a lot of times people say like, you know, I got to exercise or I got to do this thing. Right. But like, I just love dancing. And it's like, what do you love? And so I love dancing. And I also, you know, I've read a lot about rebounding on these little mini trampolines, AKA rebounders. And they said that three minutes, only just three minutes of rebounding boosts your immune system by up to 300%. So it's like, to me, I'm like, man, that's awesome. Anyway, so that's one of the things that I, it really, I mean, if nothing else happens during the whole day, if I have my dance party, I'm like, today was a good day and it's only like <laughs> 730, you know? Yeah, it's like nobody's watching, huh? Ex exactly. Every day and definitely close the door just so you don't, you know, have any inhibition. <laughs> <laughs> I totally love that. It makes me happy just thinking yeah. about it. Okay, number two. <laughs> totally try it. So this one has had a really big impact on me lately. I had a buddy who actually spoke at the 1000 Words event and his name is Stuart Edge and his speech was called The Most Important Letter You'll Ever Write. 
so powerful. It was such a good speech. So he invited the people who were listening to basically write a letter to themselves. So I thought this was so powerful. So I decided to try it. And on a day when I was having a really hard time, I decided to write a letter to my future self. I actually picked 64-year-old Andy. I don't know why I picked 64, but I did. And I asked for help in dealing with some of the issues that I'm trying to figure out in my life at the time. And about a week later, when I was just kind of sitting quietly at night, I felt my future self was trying to write back, but I was like so tired. I remember that night I was like just exhausted. So I I like went to bed and I literally had a dream of my future life. It was so cool. And I woke up the next morning so inspired and I wrote this letter back from my future self, giving me advice and encouragement. And there are just, I think, so many benefits of doing this, but it was like such a powerful experience for me. I mean, it's a very mindful experience. It's like trusting the wisdom inside, right? Like we all have this inner wisdom that's Mm -hmm. from our 10-year-old self, from our, you know, 15-year-old self, from our 18-year-old self, from our 27-year-old self, from our 30-year-old self. And then reaching into the future, right? And saying, what would my 64-year-old self have as advice for me right now? And I'm not saying every single person out there is going to have this like magical moment where they like have a dream about their future and wake up and write a letter back from their 64-year-old self. But, but writing is a powerful way to tap into that inner wisdom that I think all of us have. And I mean, there's also studies too that show that writing can really improve your mood if you just do it every day. Writing is a key to happiness, kind of purging what's in your brain, even if you're not a writer. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Writing, and I know a lot of people hesitate to write because they're like, what if I, you know, have typos or spell things wrong or whatever? Just write. You know, some studies show that if you just write for 20 minutes a day about something that's stressful to you, no goal other than just writing about it. You don't have to try to solve it. You just write about it. It improves your health, it improves quality of life. So many amazing results. Well, from as a writer, I can tell you that there's a lot of truth to that because one of the other reasons I think we don't write, or at least that sometimes I am self-conscious of it, is I think, what if somebody reads this? Because the things that I yeah. oftentimes want to write about are the stuff I have to work through in my head. And sometimes it's not pretty. <laughs> I think, oh my gosh, totally. when somebody goes back and reads all my notebooks, they're going to think I was a complete crazy nutcase. And <laughs> I, I don't know if I want those around for posterity or not, but you yeah. can always burn it, right? And a lot of times- for sure. A lot of times when I'm writing, if I do this, what's called a free write, okay? And I have to go for three pages and you start writing and you don't stop. You don't let yourself stop and think. You don't let yourself stop and edit. You just empty out whatever's in your head. And it might not make any sense at all. And, you know, if all of a sudden you have mind blank, you just start writing blah, 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 blah. But you don't stop your hand, right? And you go for three solid pages And you know what's interesting is more often than not, sometimes I haven't known how I really felt about something until it came out on paper. And once it came out, suddenly there was this clarity of, oh, that's how I feel about it. That's Mm. And and that's fascinating when that happens. And then sometimes if something's bogged up or, or bottled inside and you do this type of writing exercise, you know, you can totally rip it up and throw it away when you're done because the process of the writing it out cleaned it out of your system. You know, like forgiveness Mm. letters. One of the activities in my book, the 21 Life Connection Challenges, it's life, living intentional and fearless every day. And it's 21 
life connection challenges. And one of those challenges is Hmm. on forgiveness. And, you know, I can't just set up a challenge for you and say, hey, you've got to forgive somebody. But what I can do and what I do do in this challenge is have you write out these three pages where you vent, just open up and let everything out about want somebody that you need to forgive. And you can say it all. You can put it all out there. And in the end, you're going to burn it and let it go. And, you know, this is a step. This is a step in that direction. But there's a lot to be said for that process. And not even of typing, but of physically writing out with pen and paper, writing something out, doing that flow, emptying out the brain and the mind and the emotion that has powerful effect on either cleansing or clarifying. I love that. That is really helpful. And it helps kind of illustrate why I think writing is like such a powerful tool for resilience, especially. Mm. Okay, third, number three. (laughs) Okay, number three, let's see. I love this one, which I found from the Greater Good Science Center from Stanford. And they had this purpose kind of exercise and it's called the magic wand activity. So if you had a magic wand, what would you change about the world? So what, you, what you're supposed to do with this activity, and I did this and it's so helpful for me, was list at least five things or as many as you can, if you can list more than five, then write what you can do to be a part of that change during your lifetime mm. and, and list as many of those things as you can, right? And this is something that I did and I found to be so powerful to increase purpose, right? To figure out, okay, this is what I would do to change the world if I had a magic wand. Oh, and now let me think about it in reality, right? And it really helped me to zero in on what I thought needed to happen to make the world a better place. And then I found real things like in real life, which I have you know, since done actually some of them to make a dent within my sphere of influence. Like we can't necessarily change the whole world, but we have, we all have a sphere of influence. And so, you know, for example, some of them are like working on this new anti-loneliness project that I'm a part of, which is amazing. Creating course for people who struggle with their faith to be happier. Like there's so many things that I feel like we can do if we think what can change about the world And what can I do to be a part of that? And like, I love what Viktor Frankl says, those who have a why to live can bear with almost any how. Mm. And so when we're trying to be resilient and get back up, right? Fall well. Purpose purpose. is huge. It's huge. It It is is so huge. huge. And think how much happier you are when you're engaged in a purpose that feels fulfilling to you. Totally. No, totally. It's so big. My grandma just turned a hundred and we were just talking to her recently about, you know, grandma, what are you like, what's next? You know, and (laughs) not a lot of people get to say like, what's next when they're a hundred, but she's in the process of trying to figure out, you know, what's her purpose now. And I think that's so admirable, you know, and I think the research shows even that, you know, people who have a purpose, it can get them up to seven extra years of life expectancy. So I think it's amazing. I don't doubt that at all. And, you know, I know for a fact that I am happiest when I have a positive purpose that I'm totally gung-ho about. And it just feels good. 
You know, totally. every day there's something to wake up for that's positive and exciting. That makes all the difference in the world. So, totally great happy technique. Yeah. Okay, number so, four. We number have four. four. We're on number four. Yeah. So, here's one that has really been helpful for me recently. I think this almost more than anything else in the last couple months has been life changing. I call it my friendship wall. One of the things that I've struggled with through this kind of, you know, traumatic event was the sense of loneliness, like this perception of social isolation. You know, people don't really understand my my story or what I've what I've gone through, you know? Sure. And you start to feel alone. And loneliness is like it's like the new smoking. Like it's it's pretty bad for you. Chronic loneliness is the equivalent of smoking like 15 cigarettes a day. And so, you know, creating this friendship wall has helped me. And like a lot of times we, on our phones, we have pictures, right? Of mm-hmm. us and our friends doing these fun things that we do or whatever. How often do we pull out our phones and like look through those albums and, you know, remind ourselves, hey, we have friends and we're not alone. So what I did is I, actually, I just used this app that's a free app. I think it's called Free Prints or something like that to print off pictures of people that I love and then hang them on my wall. You know, I think that's a beautiful idea because one of the things, loneliness is really huge in our, at least in the United States, right? Where, where there's so much social huge. media that most of the interaction or a great deal of the interaction anymore is yeah. digital. And it so, is. all of that community interaction or in the neighborhood party and the, the city get togethers, those are fewer and far between because so much of what we do, you know, can be done digitally. And even, you know, planning a night out, you do it via text and then, you know, <laughs> yeah. you might show up there. So, this idea of actually keeping it real, of taking the pictures and not not even just leaving them yeah. on your phone, you know, the millennials might be inclined just to leave them on their phone because everything is so digital. But I love the idea of printing them out. I have this um, yeah. cork board in my kitchen that I print out pictures of the things that we've done like every six months and put them up there because it reminds me that I'm out doing things and that I'm having these interactions with my kids. And it reminds my kids too, right? Like they can look up there every day and see, oh, we're not boring. Like we've had these events and we do things and we we create relationships and there's stuff going on and it's in front of their faces all the time. And so I really like that being front and center to remind you that you're not alone. Yeah, it really helps because you walk by it every day and you look up and you you think I'm not alone in this, you know, and you remember that moment where you did connect with that person that you love. Like it. It's interesting because you and I do a lot of the same things only in slightly different ways. And that's fascinating because it sort of is a <laughs> testimony to personalizing techniques for happiness, yeah. right? Like there oh, are certain so things that are going to work, but make it your own. So, so important. Yeah, absolutely. Make it your own. Okay. So number yeah. five. All right, number five. So this is one that I've been applying that Stacy also practices and practice, especially right when she was recovering from this hospitalization. It's called What Went Well. And this one comes from Martin Seligman. He's kind of the known as like the father of positive psychology. And so he talks about how you just, you know, it helps you train your brain to focus on the things that go well during your day. So at the end of each day, you write down three things that went well 
during the last 24 hours. So, and studies show that if you do this for eight weeks in a row, every single day, you literally will rewire your brain. You know, we're all born with this negativity bias, right? Our brains are wired to focus on possible threats and we focus more on the things that, you know, are negative mm-hmm. than the things that are positive. And even though, you know, more positive things happen than negative, it takes almost three times as many positive things to make up for right? the Right. Isn't negative that crazy? Yeah. Like we're starting with things stacked against us in the first place, but there's evolutionary reason <laughs> for that, right? Like exactly. we needed to have memory of the things that went wrong so that we could stop them from yeah. happening again. Kept us alive. Yeah. yeah. So there's reason for that, but boy, it sure makes it an uphill battle now. <laughs> yeah, no, we had, we, well, it's just a practice, right? We just have yeah. to practice. And since we're no longer, you know, running away from saber toothed tigers, like we need to retrain our brains to be able to think what went well today. Yes. So, do you want to hear what my rendition of that is? Yes. <laughs> my rendition of that is called the success file, which is at the end of the day, instead of sitting in bed thinking about all the things I didn't get done and that are still on my list of things to do, instead, mm. I run through everything that I did. And I count everything. I count getting out of bed. And I count doing my makeup. And I count mm. if I took a shower. Like, I count it all. Because <laughs> it, yeah. it, it all counts, right? Sometimes getting out of bed is a bigger achievement than others. <laughs> but I count it all. Totally. And by the time I'm done and I've made this list of, you know, 10, 15 things, I'm like, yeah, I, I got <laughs> yeah. shit done. You bet. Seriously. Nice job, Lori. And then you go to bed with that positive feeling about yeah. yourself and about your life space. And, you know, tomorrow you'll pick up the list of things to do and you'll get a few more off it. But that list ain't going anywhere, not until we die. And then when we die, that list will still be there and whatever's on it just will pass on to somebody else. Don't stress about it. Totally. I love that. That's so powerful. So what tips, just one final tip here before we close up, do you have for dealing with negative people and emotions in our lives? Because those things are just a part of it too. So we control, we use these skills and we retrain our mind and we retrain ourselves to seek after these things that create happy, good feelings where we create the story that we want on purpose. Yeah. But sometimes we're still going to have to deal with other people and other people's choices. And when they bring, when we bring, have a negative person in our life or negative emotions that get pushed at us, do you have any tips for how to deal with that gracefully? Absolutely. You know, it's funny you ask this because I created a course on how to deal with negative people. And I'll just share a couple of things from that course, which one of them comes from Michelle Gielen, who is this uh, positive psychology expert as well. And she has talked about what's called a strategic retreat. So a lot of times, you know, there's just people, (laughs) there's just people in our lives, you can't avoid them. And maybe they're, you know, family members or Mm -hmm. people that you can't necessarily, you know, get away from, get away from. And you just have to, you know, you have to be able to know how to deal with them. And so, you know, our positivity bank is finite, right? And we can really get worn out by negativity very quickly. And negativity is really actually bad for our health too. Sure. And and it's an energy, you know, when you've got all that swirling around, you've got to somehow protect yourself or shake it off or, you know, put on a shield. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And so if you know that you are feeling this negativity amount, right, with this relationship, with a conversation, whatever it is, 
don't be afraid to get up and, and walk out of if it's a meeting or a conversation and just say, hey, I just need to take a break or hey, I got to go to the bathroom. You know, I mean, nobody can fight with the bathroom. And so it's a strategic retreat to where you go and then, you know, you take some deep breaths. Maybe you go back to your, you know, look at your success log, your, you know, I talk about in my course what's called the positivity playlist where you bring up those memories of the good things and the things that you do well, the things that you know about yourself, the, the, that help you tell the good story about yourself. So that's one thing that I think is, is really helpful for dealing with negative people. I think acknowledging that the fact that they really bring you down and just being able to say it out loud, you know, even if you're alone in a room, you know, or even to a therapist or a coach or a, or a, another friend like that, it's so important to just not go crazy. And I think it's really important to acknowledge it. And then my, this is just my own kind of theory or opinion, which is that I think we need to make sure if you know, you're going to be spending time with really negative people, we have a negativity bias, right? And where our brains are going to focus on that so much. So you need to literally at least three X, right? Like three times as much time as you're spending with the, the people that you can't avoid who are just super negative all the time. You've got to spend three times as much time with people who lift you, who remind you of the person you want to be, who make you elevate your thoughts, who, you know, and if you can't do that with people in person, which hopefully you can, right? Hopefully you can start building those networks of people that are super positive, that believe in you, that believe in your dreams, you know, that that are accomplishing their dreams too. Mm. Um, You know, spend time with those people or, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of really great communities online too, whether that's through watching videos. I mean, you know, watch TED Talks. TED Talks are so elevating. Yeah. Um, I love TED Talks too. Yeah. And so spend time, spend time on things that lift you, that you've got to do it. You know, it's great advice because that's huge. We, The people that we spend time with, you can almost look at the people that you spend the most time with and get a pretty clear reflection on yourself. You know, if you're hanging out with high producers and happy people and positive people, you're with them because you can hang with that crowd, you know? And if you're hanging out with the the sad and droopy and the causing trouble and the victims, then... You know, you just got to be honest with yeah. yourself. There's a good chance that's what you're putting off too. So it is. Wow. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And I think that is one of the biggest hacks of life and skills that you can develop. And I mean, it's a big reason why I keep my podcast alive is because I get to connect with people like you who are trying to create solutions, who are trying to be a good force in the world, you know, and who are making things happen. And I think that that makes life so much more beautiful. Oh, so does. Okay, so in closing, tell the listeners a little bit about what you have to offer them. It sounds like you had a course that you mentioned. Is that course still available for them? And where can they find you and you know, follow up with you more if they want to work with you? What, what does that look like? Yeah, absolutely. So you can go to morehappylife.teachable.com. That's where all the courses can be found. There's the course on, you know, how to deal with negative people. There's other courses on building your positivity playlist on, you know, dealing with loneliness. There's uh, courses on positive emotion and developing that as a skill set. 
and lots of really great resources. One of them that's free that you can anybody can just go download is my morning routine to boost positivity. So all these things in our morning routine really can help form our day. Just like I was talking about my little morning dance party, right? Like right. it really sets the tone for the rest of my day. So you can go check that out. You can just find it at that website. You can also find it at morehappylife.co. You'll see a place where you can just download it straight from there. It's just morning routine for happiness. And you can find me on my podcast, More Happy Life Podcast. And you can, if you're on Instagram, find me at More Happy Life. I'd love to connect with you anywhere you guys are. Awesome. So what were you featured in the New York Times and ABC News and Fox Business about? Oh, that oh. was the podcast. So it was mentioned for just yeah, the More, More Happy Life podcast. So sweet. Nice yeah. Job. Yeah. It was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I was really happy about that. Yeah. That's wonderful. Obviously. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for Absolutely. sharing your insights and your story. And um, we'll you. talk with you later. Sounds good. Thanks so much. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye. When we hit those rough patches, it doesn't feel like we're in charge of our own happiness. Often it feels like an emotion controls us or another person's actions have plummeted us into despair or discouragement or even just apathy. But happiness is just like anything else that's worthwhile. It takes some effort to create positive mindsets and habits. But we are completely in charge of the story that we are writing. And whether it's a tragedy or a comedy or a drama is up to us. I am so grateful that Andy was here today to share his insights. I hope you found even just one nugget of wisdom from the things we talked about today. One nugget of wisdom to take into your way of being for a good, strong trial run to see how it adds to your happy life. Go out this week. Be happy. Your challenge for the week is to... Find one thing that you can add, maybe try out one of his tools, add one thing to your routine this week to increase your happy and see where that takes you. This is what finding joy in your journey looks like. Decide to put on the rosy glasses, decide to put on the dance shoes and focus on the flowers rather than the weeds. I will see you next week, people. Remember to use the Love Your Story podcast website because it's got all 140 plus episodes for your own listening pleasure and for sharing. You can also buy your Love Your Story t-shirts on the site or get a copy of my new book, Life, Living Intentional and Fearless Every Day. You can also find that on Amazon. And we'll see you next week. Get out there and do some intentional living. <music>